What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Yala, your thrice weekly podcast where we talk about the hottest news and some very interesting people with a touch of what, Terrence? Good old humor. Good old humor, yeah. man. Uh, I mean, we we have someone in our studio today who's going to be talking about something that everybody, including my mom, has now heard of. Mm, mm. And, and what is that, Terrence? Uh, Taylor Swift concert. Yes, Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> in addition to that, uh, political scandals. No. Yes, yes. In addition to that, no. Of course, the the big news on everyone's lips. Uh, uh, AI. AI. Yes, and, and this and feels like a bit like a deja vu, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. Like, I think it was less than half a year ago we had this guy in our studio. Yeah. But um and and you know funny enough that we're talking about AI but there were some technical issues with the recording yeah so it never I mean the, the copies out there but it's not been officially out there as a podcast and right? not as an audio podcast right? yeah, yeah 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 that's right but now we're here to write that wrong yeah and we'd like to welcome back Kevin Barrera MD of Blue Artificial Intelligence welcome mm. back to Yalabad man fantastic thank you guys for having me yeah yeah so what are you what are you back in Singapore for man like you know like we we know you're based out of uh. You're uh, like basically a James Bond of AI flying around, um, you know, uh, I don't know, charming people and all. But what are you in Singapore for? Yeah, you know, I guess James Bond is a nice way to think about it. You know, the good looks, the natural charm, mm-hmm. the uh, shaken not stirred on the on the drinks there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just here for work. Uh, you know, got invited to fortunately speak at a couple of conferences. Okay. So I've been doing that uh, in the region and a little bit of education, uh, things in the region too. Yeah. So yeah, that's why, uh, that's why I got it bit of time to spend uh, spend with you guys which i'm f- oh, very much looking forward to mm-hmm. yeah but so, so i mean yeah. uh, sorry part of i mean our audience it's although there was a you know a little tease of, of you in the last the last time you were here but to our audience uh, i think it's still quite you're still quite a new uh, person to our audience as well so like um can you tell us a little bit about your background and how, how you got into ai and all that yeah, sure. So super quickly, uh, born and raised in Hong Kong, spent a bunch of time there, mm. uh, then went to the U.S. for undergrad, uh, studied business. That's where I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Terrence yeah. uh, and then worked in private banking for a while. So I was mm. in the city in New York, mm. uh, did that for about six years and then wanted to try something a little bit different. So changed to finance in uh, in Hong Kong, Yeah, uh, enjoyed it, but eventually realized that I want to change into something that has, you know, has some element of technology there because mm. I appreciated the quick you know, pace of change yeah. and wanted to have something that was constantly moving as well. Mm-hmm. So went to MBA school, uh, had a chance to go to, uh, to INSEAD in Singapore, which is, which is a lot of fun. Got a sense of what Singapore was like, spent some time here, and then went to work uh, in Myanmar doing internet infrastructure way back mm. in 2015, 2016. Yeah. Uh, so post that, I ended up joining Blue Artificial Intelligence where we do uh, consulting with AI and then also education in the AI space as well. Mm. And uh, f- as part of the education, I also teach at a number of schools, uh, I should say universities in uh, in Hong Kong mm. and also in the region as well. So classes on AI and big data for the MBA folks. And then recently I've also been asked to teach undergrads as well. So mm, wow. really start to see the whole spectrum on education. Yeah. And I think with a lot of the recent things about uh, that are coming in with AI, mm. I mean, education is actually going to change quite a bit as well. Yeah. So mm. pretty excited to see what's uh, what's happening there. And many of the universities are, you know, asking some questions, you know, to us about how that can change going forward. Mm. So very, very exciting uh, things coming, I think. Mm. So, so you first dabbled in AI back when? 
Uh, so I think my first jump into AI was around 2016, 2017. So pretty early on the on on the journey, and mm. I think there've been a few interesting waves with AI. Yeah. But I think this last wave with specifically generative AI, where a lot of people can use it, I think that's probably a wave that has a lot more legs than before. Mm. Whereas I think previously we may have seen, you know ebbs and flows, but I think now it's sort of here to stay for many people. Mm. And I think that's one of the big differences between this sort of wave and ones that have come previously. And this this wave generative, yeah, I think people's first interaction with it would have been through like chat GPT and all. But when you mm-hmm. say generative AI, it is generative in every way, right? It's not just text. Oh. Yeah. So when we say you know, traditional AI, right? Yeah. Historically, it's always been about looking at content that already exists and mm. then doing analysis on there. Mm. Generative AI is changing the game because it's actually now creating content. Mm. And I'd say that that creation of content is probably coming in four main areas. So text, image, uh, speech, and then probably video as well. I'd lump that in there too. Mm. Uh, which I think video kind of brings in all of it together. Uh, but I think those are the four main sort of formats that we're mm. seeing generative AI being used for right now. Yeah. Mm. yeah, even in the six months that uh, we last spoke to you, mm-hmm. there have been so many changes. I remember the last time we spoke to you, it was like, hey guys, everyone should try ChatGPT. You know, you'll be blown away by, by how it is. And literally last week, I was uh, creating Barbie dolls with my face <laughs> on it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Barbie.ai yep. app. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's become so mainstream now. Like AI and, and everyone is trying some version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, aren't you like keeping up with things isn't that like crazy for you yeah it's actually really difficult and I feel like if it's difficult for me I can imagine for people that are not in the AI space Mm. that must be very overwhelming as well yeah Uh, I think what I'm beginning to see though is a lot of generative AI the right way to use it Mm. should be people that have domain specific expertise using the AI tool together Right. So as an example, one of the issues with generative AI is something called hallucinations. Mm. So hallucinations is basically when you get output from generative AI that yeah. looks very convincing, but is factually inaccurate. Mm. Now, if you have domain expertise, the minute you read that, you will know it's factually inaccurate. Yeah. But if you don't have domain expertise and you just try and copy and paste it, that can be dangerous. Mm, right? mm, so that's something, you know, I got many caveats with generative AI, yeah. but I think really, really, you know, one of the biggest ones don't just copy and paste the output. Double check it, look yeah. at it, give it a human sort of, uh, you know, yeah. sanity check. There, there mm. have been a couple of uh, ads in Singapore, mm-hmm. one by one of, one of the big local banks here, mm-hmm. where they showed, I think, a kid uh, holding on to something in the ad. And nobody looked closely until they found that the kid has six fingers. fingers yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was an ad for, I think, Giordano as well, for mm-hmm. National Day. Yep. Where, yeah, they had like, it was really strange because like the kids are holding out their hands and, and somehow the fingers just looked mishmash. Like it's, mm. it's like, it's as if you told someone like who'd never seen a human before, mm. oh, a human has a bunch of fingers and they just sort of make a guess of how many it makes sense. And six seems to make more sense than five. <laughs> and it, it just generated yeah. and it's just so weird looking. So with generative AI, there's a few, especially image generation, there's yeah. a few areas that are technically a bit more challenging. Fingers are definitely one of them. And especially with humans, teeth is also challenging mm. as well. So there's a few aspects there. And I think this actually starts an interesting um, you know, uh, a topic on do we have an ability to detect whether something is made by human beings mm. or whether something is made by AI. Yeah. And I think as the AI gets better, that's going to be harder and harder to do. Mm. And I think one of the ways you know, for your listeners to think about this stuff 
is also to start using human common sense when mm. it comes to seeing the output of generative AI. Mm. Right? If there's a person that really would never say something, but you see a video of them saying it, you should think about it. Because I think that critical mindset now mm. is going to become so much easier. Right? Because before, content was harder to create. Now mm. content mm. is easy. So the skill, whether it's for an average consumer or whether it's for a student, is really going to be, let me look at the output and can I judge whether this is right or wrong, and also, you know, have a ability to critically evaluate the things you are seeing. But do you mm. think that common sense is something that we still need to be trained on, or it should be something that could, is quite obvious to most people? Yeah, that's a great question, right? So I think uh, common sense probably varies per person. Yeah. So some <laughs> people have more than others, some yeah. people have none, and some people maybe you can even argue might have negative, right? Yeah. Um, but look, uh, jokes aside, I think in general, I think common sense is one of those barriers because is it because it is hard to program an AI to have common sense. Mm. Right? That is something that is kind of values-based, something that's also knowledge-based, many different ways of looking at that. So I think common sense is definitely kind of, should at least be the first filter to what you see. And then after that, there might be other things to think about. But mm. common sense is definitely going to be a good one. So like uh, most of your consulting is done for brands, right? Uh, like companies and businesses, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but how has the past six months been for you, like just observing both consumers and businesses? I can imagine a lot of businesses now is like anything, right? When YouTube first came out, they don't give a shit, don't give a shit. Then suddenly they're like, okay, we want to make YouTube videos. Podcast first. Is it the same with AI? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, so if we think about people first, just for a second, right? Yeah. Before, mm. before companies. I think the difference with a lot of the generative AI tools is they're what we call low-code and no-code tools. Mm, okay, mm, so that mm. means you don't need coding. You don't need any programming to be able to use them. Right? Mm, yeah. And I think fundamentally that's changed the game. Okay, That means that you, know, you, me, mom, grandma, everybody can fire it up and mm. actually start to use it. Mm, so mm. I think that's one of the reasons why companies are now looking at it because everyone's using it. Mm -hmm. right? And I think that the change has been the low-code, no-code thing. Yeah. So that's been helpful. Mm. I think in terms of businesses... Uh, it's interesting because we do a lot of education, both at junior levels and also very senior levels. Mm -hmm. And I think at the senior levels, for people at the C-suite, I think they don't necessarily need to know how to use the tools, but they have to understand capability. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've done a few workshops. Um, as an example, for some of the schools I went to, the alumni wanted to do workshops. So in those workshops, we had a range of people, and I think some of the more senior folks you know, they were there, I think, just to observe what the tool can do. Mm, and mm. they really appreciated that. And what I did during those workshops is I forced them to use it, mm. right? And, and I think at the beginning, you see the reluctance. You're like, mm, I don't really want to do this. Yeah. And then you give them the opportunity to try and they're like, huh, it's actually not that difficult, right? It's mm. a little bit easier. And then I think those people who are business leaders, once they're comfortable with the tool, then they start to think about, where in my business can I use it? Yeah. Right? And actually, the fact that they're business leaders, you know, C-suite folks, that's what they're good at. Mm. They know their business well. They can think about where to use it. Mm. But I think the challenge at the beginning is how do they use the tool? What are the capabilities? I feel that's where we need some education. Uh, so we find that once you have that education, mm. then they start to wake up and really start to use it and think about it. Mm. And I think the other interesting part, which we definitely, I think, should touch on in this, in this chat, is what is the effect then going to be on their people? Mm, right. Mm. And so I think that's sort of another very interesting area for them to start to rethink about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, the other kind of caveat also is it depends if the companies are big versus the smaller ones. Yeah. I think for some of the smaller sort of mom and pop shops, generative AI will actually be able to do a lot of their easy use cases. 
Mm. So for example, come up with a poster for something that we're doing, right? Rather than go hire a production crew, get some actors to kind of do that, you know, you can just use generative AI, right? Mm. And if you get six fingers, crop the finger out, mm. right? Or you figure out what you're going to mm. do. But I think for a lot of the generative AI, it actually makes sense for some of the smaller companies to just embrace, use, and start running with. Mm. I can see for larger firms, there's some other considerations there as well, which they mm. need to think about. Mm. But isn't, doesn't that like... Um Especially, you know, people like uh, creative designers and all who mm-hmm. work with with their brains and their hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as it's it's just small companies who might be using the generative AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially, it's it's replacing their role, right? You know, as freelance designers, designing that poster for that small company in your community and all. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that square what you said earlier about, you know, AI needs to be used by people with domain knowledge. Yeah, so I actually disagree with your assumption that it's going to replace them. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's why. I think if you actually start using the generative AI tools as a toy and just play around with it, uh, you know, you can create whatever you want. But I think as you start to use these tools, mm-hmm. what I found through my own experience is yeah. if you're very precise with your prompts, if you really define what you really want properly, mm-hmm. that in itself is a skill. Yeah. Right? Like if you imagine you want to create an image, right? Mm. The creative person can, in theory, create the image in their mind using imagination, experience, et cetera. Mm. And then the question is, how do they articulate that to the tool? Mm. I think actually the creative designers of the future are going to be the ones who get very good at being able to articulate it in the right way. Mm. So writing those prompts, being as detailed as possible. You know, I mean, if you want to picture with a fighter jet in it, you know, don't say just planes behind it. Say yeah. three planes, two on each side. You know, if you really, really, like you write an essay mm. to be able to do that prompt, you you will get a picture that very much decreases the distance between mm. what you expect and what the output's going to be. Mm-hmm. So I actually think these tools are going to be useful for creatives. Mm. Right? Rather than replacing them, I think it's going to be the creatives who can really use these tools well will be the ones that stand out. But, but, but isn't that... Um, rely on the assumption that they have a strong command of language and they're able to, you know, articulate their thoughts in words, which is one medium by itself. Uh. You know, okay. but then there are people who are creative in the sense of that, like they, they really draw things or they create images. They're not necessarily communicated with words, but they, they get a sense and it captures an emotion in them. Like those people, they do they need to, are you saying that they, they kind of have to go back to learn about language and how to use it? Uh, in order to survive? So two things to that. So number one, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that AI can complement human beings. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you have a weakness in a specific area, if the AI can help you com- help complement that for you, yeah. you overall can produce better output. Mm-hmm. Okay? So as an example, if we think about art and actually drawing the stuff, yeah. uh, my worst subject in high school by a mile was art. I was mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. terrible at this. And like, I almost feel like at a certain point I draw something and I have this like PTSD of people laughing at me. Mm. Right? But imagine now I can use these tools that can create really good output. And in my mind, if I have good command of language, then I'm able to do it. Right? Yeah. So that's one side of it. I think the other part, which you were talking about, saying that let's say that people are really good at drawing. Right? Mm. So the opposite of me. You can also take some of the things you draw put it into these AI tools and mm. use them to enhance it as well, mm. right? So for example, recently, uh, I took a photo of myself, put it into one of these generative AI image tools. Yeah. And then I said, age me uh, 10 years down the line. Mm. And I gave it some more extra uh, prompting. I won't share what that is, but mm. the output 
made me look like a George Clooney ten years down the line. So, like I said, I'll keep the I'll, I'll keep the prompt, prompt. to myself. Um, but like generally, Clooney, yeah. it looked fantastic. Just basically, basically it's dig up a picture of George yeah, Clooney. Each me ten years and merge it with a picture yeah. of George Clooney. Replace it with an image. Yeah, like George Clooney was not in the prompt, but there might have been a little bit of nudging to in, in, in a helpful way. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, you can actually take these tools, put yeah. in some base images to start. Right, so you use your creativity at the beginning, and then have the AI augment that. Mm. And I think that's the right way to think about this. Mm-hmm. Even with something like ChatGPT, yeah. many people give one prompt and then they leave it at that. But I'm a big fan of what we like to call incremental prompting. Right, so the idea is you keep, you get the output, you then say change this, you then say change this, mm-hmm. you then say change this. So you actually refine the output up yeah. until you really get, you know, what you want. So I think if we start to use these tools in the right way. I really feel there's a there's there's an amazing potential for what can come about after you start to get a hang of using these tools in the proper way. Mm. So so then like um I mean for these tools to work in the way that you said there are there is a bunch of data that these tools are trained on right. So I know one thing I don't know whether it was big in the news when you came the last time but I saw certain examples of artists you know. Uh, trying to sue class these, action lawsuits, yeah, yeah, for yeah. because the models were trained on their skill, right? So, and I think there was one artist who is the most quoted art, art living artist in in ChatGPT. Like, just he has a very unique style, and is it draw this image in this style of this person? So he is part of that class action lawsuit. Okay, uh, because I mean, ultimately, yeah, you're using your model to replicate my style, but I'm not getting compensated. Mm. So, have there been any developments, or how how do you see that? Uh, how would you address that? Yeah, it's a great question, right? So I, I think you know, as we have more and more generative AI, mm. this is going to be a common problem going forward. Yeah. Right? And I think uh, it is not fair, for, and at least my, my kind of ethical view, right? It's not fair for those artists to not be compensated mm. for this stuff. Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes, what is the mechanism, right? How do we actually do this? So I think for me, the mechanism kind of falls into three main buckets. So mm. bucket one is we figure out some sort of revenue share program, right? I use your 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 artist uh, your artwork to train my model. I give you something. Mm-hmm. I think another important part though could also be can you in the artwork that you post online put in something like maybe a invisible watermark or something like that that when the AI comes to it it sees a watermark and then doesn't use it for training. Mm-hmm. Right? So is there like an opt out mechanism, right? I maybe see. it's a watermark, maybe something else, but some sort of opt out mechanism might actually be interesting. Mm. So I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if that is something that will happen in the future. Mm. And then lastly, you know, there's the other thought that, okay, if these individuals and those companies cannot figure something out together, then maybe there's a government redistribution idea there, right? Mm. So maybe we tax mm. some of these media companies or these AI companies that are using it, and then we take that tax and we use it to redistribute some wealth to the artists as well. Mm. So there's a few different mechanisms that might work, um, but I agree that it's a problem. And yeah. I think before we never had this issue because we yeah. didn't have generative AI. Yeah. Now that we have generative AI, we need to be mindful of everybody in the ecosystem. And I mm. think it does make sense to figure out a mechanism to make this work. H- have any government uh, like taken any steps or any companies that you see that you think are doing a great job? Because I think it's Adobe that uh, I think they publicly said this also that their generative AI which is Firefly, Firefly yep. is trained only on images that they own the rights to. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, which when we saw like, oh that's that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. Mm. Um but is is that actually true or is it just a PR thing? 
So I'm not sure about Firefly's data set. A mm. lot of these AI companies are very secretive about how they train I their see, models. Mm. Um, but I know that there's one or two kind of AI companies out there who are instituting mechanisms whereby if they use stuff, they are paying people. Okay. Mm. Right. So I, and mm. I think that's the right way to go. I forget the exact examples, but there are a few cases where they've tried to do that. And I think that's the right move I mm. think, going forward. Mm. So you, you sound like um, generally you're quite uh, positive and optimistic about how how AI will blend with, uh, you know, human endeavors, right? Uh, but no, it wasn't too long ago where I think there were a bunch of researchers, including and, and, and pe- business people like uh, Elon Musk, that called for a temporary halt mm-hmm. on the development of AI yep. for just for legislation and, and regulation to catch up with it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, some could claim it's a, it's a PR move because, uh, I mean, how do you halt uh, any kind of progress, right? Yep. But what do you think of, um, you know, increasing calls like this from scientists and people who are worried about how, how humans are going to deal with AI, you know, these protests that they're making. What do you think of that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's some credence to the idea, right? Mm. And, and kind of if I was to articulate why I I think there's some sort of justification for the idea. Yeah. Let's think about... Sorry, the idea of... Uh, of six-month pause. Oh, six-month pause. Okay, right? yeah. So I think with, with that idea, if you look at in the past through history... Mm. And you look at when has there been massive technological change, typically it's always taken a bit of time. Mm, okay, so mm. let's take it to the example of people working on farms. Yeah. Okay, so you got people running around on farms, they're doing their thing, and then we invent the tractor. Mm. Right. So the tractor in theory can do everything that the person on the farm can. Yeah. And so in theory that would lead to zero people having to work there. Mm, but mm. if you consider the amount of time that it takes to build a tractor, to get the supply chain for the tractors, to actually have every tractor on every farm, mm. that is a 30, 40, 50, 60 year thing. Right? Mm-hmm. That's not gonna happen overnight. The difference with this though, is actually overnight, you, me, and grandma can start to use ChatGPT mm. yeah. and these generative AI tools because they are low code and no code. Mm. So because of that, actually I think, in the short term, that's my area of concern. Mm. Okay, But I think in the medium and long term, we will probably figure stuff out. Mm. Right? I think jobs will evolve, and we can certainly talk about that. I think there's yeah. going to be new jobs that generative AI brings as well, yeah. which is super exciting. But I think humanity has never had this much of a change in such a short time frame. Mm. And so that's why I think the ethos of it makes sense. Now, mm. practically, can you stop AI companies from you know for six months and tell them to not do anything? I think that's difficult. Mm. So we need to think about the mechanism. Yeah. But I think the idea here is you know, humanity needs to change so quickly. Yeah. We need to help humanity to be able to do that, mm. right? So I think some mechanism there is probably a good thing yeah. because it's a lot of change, yeah. you know? I mean, if you if I just consider in even my own uh, professional experience with education, right? So we've been talking to a lot of universities, a lot of mm. folks have been asking me, you know, how is um, education going to change going forward? And if you think about it, in the past with education, we've historically assessed output. Mm. The thing is now, output becomes easy. Yeah. Right? So what do you assess? Right? And I've actually been thinking about this for my class and what I'm going to do going forward. And my larger kind of view on this is that I think we probably need to think about how to assess process rather than output. Mm. Right? So as an example, something I was thinking about was maybe give the students an essay, right? Ask mm-hmm. them to write about topic A. And then ask them to write a further essay on why did you use that prompt or why did you use that tool? 
I see. Now, I hope they don't use, you know, ChatGPT or write that second essay. Yeah. Um, but in general, that's kind of the idea. Like, yeah. How do we test the process? And then, you know, and then output, maybe you grade for like 20%. And that process essay, maybe you give 80% of the grade for. Mm. Right? So you emphasize the process. Yeah. Something else that another you know, very smart professor was, was talking to me about is could we, in an exam, actually have the output from generative AI and then ask the students to critically evaluate that output? Mm. I think that's mm. also another nice way to do it, right? Because there you're teaching or testing the skill of once the generative AI creates the output, how should we be looking at it, mm. right? So I think, again, the important thing to think about is when generative AI is coming, what are the skills that we need? And then how do we teach and how do we test those? Mm. Right? So for my first example, it's about prompting the process at the beginning. For what I said at the end, uh, or I, uh, sorry, what I said at the second, it's actually the end part, mm. right? The content is created, and then how should we look at it? Mm. So I think education needs to shift a little bit yeah. in that aspect. And I think some subjects will probably have more generative AI than others. Yeah. Um, but as a high-level sort of uh, you know view, I think we need to move a little bit from assessing output mm. to potentially assessing other things. Mm. Mm. Have, you, have you watched uh, the movie Oppenheimer? I have not yet, no. I mean, uh, spoiler alert, the atom bomb was, I mean, the nuclear bomb was created in mm -hmm. the movie, you know, in the movie, they show mm -hmm. the process of it. Mm -hmm. But a large part of the show was about, you know, basically scientists pursuing scientific progress and then getting to a the point, they created a bomb and, um, and then after it was used on the Japanese, obviously. And then Oppenheimer kind of had a change of heart where he realized, hey, we've let the cat out of the bag and now, you know, maybe we should put limits around what we use it for. It. And maybe realizing that it's a bit too late to do that. Uh. So, I mean, when I watched the movie, I kind of thought, actually, that's where, isn't that what we're talking about? Like a lot of AI stuff now, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe we've opened the door too much already and to try and put a six-month, uh, you know, a stopper mm -hmm. on and everything is a little bit too late. And um, yeah, we kind of just have to adapt to the way, the way things are now. So it's, it's kind of a scary thought because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why, I mean, subsequently Cold War and everything that, that happened, right, after mm -hmm. the development of the bomb. Yep. Uh, but yeah, now I don't, man. AI is, is, it seems not here to stay, man. I don't and, think we can do it. And was there a time this past six months where, or do you already feel it by March that, okay, it has gone over the turning point? There's really no turning point. Because you mentioned waves, right? Was there a, a personal incident or a personal recollection where you saw something where, like, oh, all right, this is it. This is the time. I think it's like just, you know, uh, grandma using ChatGPT, right? mm, and again, mm. not my grandma necessarily, but like you know, people, people saying that like I think you yeah. even mentioned before, right? Yeah, At the beginning mom. today, your uh, mom's uh, using it. Yeah. I think that's the fundamental change, mm. and I think once mom starts using it and likes using it, then there's going to be a big that, that that you can't you know put back in the box. Mm. Right? So I think it's this widespread adoption, right? Yeah. At least before, when it's only a few people using it. Uh, not that you could put it back in the box, but, you know, if that community stays small and quiet and insulated, then, yeah. okay, you can kind of keep it there. But now that everyone in, and their mother is using it, mm. uh, I think I think that's that for me was the, the pivotal moment. But was mm. there then on the flip side something in these past six months that you saw, you're like, oh, shit, I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. I didn't, I didn't expect people to react this way. Or, like, did anything come out that shocked you? Mm, I think from the shocked perspective... Part of it was the capability of what the AI can do. 
And this would be right? which AI specifically? Or just um, so let's say image generation as an okay. example, right? So I think with image generation, a lot of those pictures now are getting very realistic. Mm-hmm. So it is hard to tell the difference between what an AI makes and then what a human makes as well. I just think with a lot of AI, the progress tends to be exponential rather than linear, mm-hmm. right? So if you if you asked me like, you know, in March, would we get generative AI that's so good that can create really realistic pictures? I would have told you probably yes, but I think it'll be a while, mm-hmm. right? And I think that speed or that pace has been the part where I've been surprised at. Mm. And I guess I'm not surprised that I was surprised because the exponential curve makes sense. Yeah. But I was surprised at the actual quality of the output. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that for me was the, like the biggest piece of that. Yeah. But do you, do you see that? Um, I mean, because you're you're talking to people who are curious and maybe sometimes even scared of the technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when like MP3s came around and everyone's like, oh, no more CDs, no more. Uh, we're done with physical media for music. And then next thing you know, a few years later, suddenly vinyl the sales of vinyl goes through the roof. People were starting to enjoy the physical experience of, you know, uh, yeah. having a record and playing the music and feeling it and everything. Yep. Do you think that because like now everything is going to be AI or generative AI, that there might be a, there might be a sort of a backlash and a swing towards, oh, then if we want a human to really be creating something, we got to pay a big premium for it. And, you know, do you think that's a possible scenario where, artists become even more coveted because they're almost like a dying breed. They're human. You know? yeah. They're human. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, human beings by nature are social animals, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think you can talk about output from a production perspective and then you can talk about an experience, mm. right? And and a good, maybe a good example here is uh, for my trip when I was in Malaysia, right? Mm. Uh, I was in a car and so a bunch of meetings driving around everywhere. Yeah. And I just remember the driver was a really nice guy and he was having some good conversation with me about like life and what's going on. And I compare that <clears throat> maybe to an autonomous vehicle, mm. right? Where the AV might get me from point A to B, but there's no human component there, Yeah. right? Whereas that conversation with that driver was, was really good. Like mm. I appreciate a lot of what he said. And so in the future, if I were to go back, you know, I'd be very open to be like, hey, you know, whatever the guy's name is. I mean, I know what it is, but I'm not going to embarrass him on the podcast here. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I'd say, hey, you know, would you be around? And, you know, I've got a trip. I'm doing something there. Yeah. Mm. Right? So for that, I think there will definitely be a premium on human, on the, on the human piece. Mm. But I think only for certain things. Mm. Right. It's kind of like there are certain use cases where I think the general AI just makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And we shouldn't really have the human being there. And there are other cases where I think the human being is going to make a ton of sense. Mm. Right. I mean, if we just think cooking as an example, right? Mm. And not that it not that McDonald's necessarily is automation of cooking, but it's closer to that. Mm. Right. Whereas your luxury five star, you know, restaurant where the chef makes it in front of you, blah, 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 blah. People will play a premium for that. Yeah. There's certain situations where McDonald's just makes sense. If you need to run, you, you've got a meeting in 20 minutes, whatever. Yeah. You don't want that experience. Mm. Right. So I think there's this view that you always want the human experience. I think there are some cases where it makes sense. Mm. There's some cases also where it doesn't. I think mm. we often see that with normal, just everyday stuff that we do. But, yeah. but would it make a difference to you if, let's say, in that taxi example, the driver was uh, generative content, like the voice? Even the look, and you see this photo re- photorealistic video of the driver looking at you, interacting. Would it make a difference to you? So I think if the generative AI were to get that good, yeah. then I think it's an open question for sure. Uh-huh. I, I still think right now the generative AI is good, but it's probably not at that point yet. Okay. But again, we have that exponential curve, right? Yeah. yeah. So at some point, does that happen in the future? I think the question is, yeah, probably. Mm. Uh, it's just a question of probably time frame. Because, I mean, sometimes we have spoken about it also. This will be our 420 plus 
uh, episode of Yalabad. Mm-hmm. I believe there there might be enough of our podcast out there where people can take it all, put a learning model on it, and run a Yalabad podcast without us talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, then if the listener they hear it in our voices, they still get our opinions. Of course, extrapolated to whatever's current, they get a podcast. Should we feel anything like, oh, it's not actually us, but they're getting what they want? And then I get, I go down this existential wormhole, and I'm like, oh shit. Uh, yeah. So the way I would think about that, right, is this AI, this generative AI, whatever they have, let's say it makes the the future the AI Terrence, right? Mm. I think the challenge with AI Terrence is that it's only trained on past data. Mm. So let's say some new event comes in. Mm. Okay, again, I'm knocking on the wood here, but let's say aliens show up, mm. and now all of a sudden your podcast is about aliens running around in Singapore. Yeah. There's no training data for that. Yeah. Mm. Right? So mm. this generative AI is not going to be able to deal with that. Yeah. So that's one aspect of it. I think number two, I think you guys bring a certain charm, right? a certain oh. je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Je ne sais quoi. And I think that <laughs> is probably yeah. something that is hard to replicate. Mm. Will that happen in the future? Again, maybe, that yeah. exponential caveat. But I still think like you guys bring something to the table. Mm. Right? So mm. don't discount that. Yeah. I mean, I recently, uh, just last week before I started on this trip, yeah. uh, I was interviewed in Hong Kong by a news program. Yeah. And so there, there was also that question, right? So mm. the news reporter was talking to me and saying, hey, what do you think this means for reporters going forward? Mm. Mm. And so I think even then, you know, there's, there's, some, there's a human element there. And in a news interview, that ad hoc back and forth, like even in this podcast, this ad hoc back and forth, yeah. you know, there's value to that. And a human being, I think, adds an extra flavor. Mm, right, mm. and so therefore, I think the challenge for folks like yourselves is actually to keep that flavor going mm, and mm. to work on that flavor. Yeah, right. And I think that's going to be the thing that differenti- differentiates you guys from a lot of other content creators mm. that are out there as well. Mm. So we've got to keep outrunning the algorithm. We can't outrunning the <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'll <laughs> say is, I think the AI will make some of what you guys do easy. Mm, okay, mm-hmm. so let's say, for example, before a um, guest comes on, you need to do some research. Yeah. That research in AI can do a lot easier. That's true. Mm-hmm. Right? So you guys actually are then freed up in terms of not having to do the research yeah. and then really concentrating on, again, what interesting angles are there. Yeah. What are some tangents we could talk about that maybe have not been discussed before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think it's a question of like looking and trying to think about mm. you know, where are you guys adding more value. Yeah. Right? And I think the the mundane stuff, like let's give that to the generative AI yeah. to free you guys up mm. to do the more interesting things. I mean, Very we, true. Yeah. yeah, we already use AI for example, like uh, every podcast now we have video extracts, like oh. one to two minutes. And we use the AI platform to do that. Mm. Something it, we found. It just it scrubs just, through everything and then is extracts crazy. things out like that. Yeah. What's and the metric? How does, it, how, do, how does it do the decision on what to extract? So, I mean, they have some uh, scoring system. Okay. So, when you log in, you just put like a YouTube link mm-hmm. and it will extract like, like when we did like 20 plus excerpts of like one minute-ish mm-hmm. and it'll give like a 99% relevant score and they kind of give a short explanation why. Uh, mm-hmm. But when it's about Singapore politics, then I'm thinking, oh, what are they? How is it deciding whether it's relevant? But then they say it's powered by ChatGPT mm. uh, and OpenAI. So, so you're banking on the street cred there. And so far, the results have been great. La. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that criteria, right, on why it picks is actually really important. Mm. And I think going forward, again, content creators like yourselves yeah. should be the ones setting that criteria. Mm. But I'll give you another example. They actually used AI for something similar, but for doing sports highlights. Mm. So looking at two mm. hours of sports and yeah. then being like, pick out you know, the interesting kind of three-minute segment. Yeah, yeah. And the metric they used, which I thought was actually great, was crowd noise. 
Because mm. the minute the crowd gets louder, it's probably a goal happened if it's a football game or some con- yeah. something contentious. Yeah. And that's probably what people want to see in the highlights package. Mm. Yeah. So that's actually, I think, a good thing. Right? Mm. Like it's a mm. good idea, that's but the true. metric is important. Yeah. What do you tell the AI to look for? Mm. That is still a human thing. Yeah, yeah. Right? That is not something an AI is just going to like randomly pick. True. Right? So then I think, again, the, 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 the human role there moves from looking at the whole footage and cutting it to setting the criteria. Mm. Mm. And then the cutting stuff just happens by the AI. Yeah. Mm. Again, I think that's how things evolve, right? Yeah. And I think that then frees you up not only to look at one set of highlights, but many other sports that are out there as mm-hmm. well. But, so, so this is the evolution, right? I'm not saying it's mm, all going to be smooth and everything's yeah. going to be fantastic. Yeah. But I think this is the evolution we need to be open to yeah. to be able to adapt going forward. So, mm. so I mean, yeah, build, building on that, right? Talking about content creators. Um, there's a very big thing happening in Hollywood right yeah. now strike. with the writer's strike. Mm. Uh, writers and basically, I think, uh, produ- is it producers, re- actors, producers, actors, writers yeah, all yeah. striking against Hollywood studios because, I mean, various things like, you know, they're, residuals from streaming services yeah. but another big thing is the the use of AI you know uh, that, the extras that, and things yeah like that. And, and they're afraid that it could replace the jobs as writers and all mm-hmm. what's your take on, on all that going on yeah so I think again the theme is similar right mm. things are changing and we need to think about how our business model is going to change going forward mm-hmm. like even when we do consulting at Blue mm. the main thing is not AI the mm. main thing is business model transformation and then the question is, how does AI or something else enable that business model transformation? Mm-hmm. So in this case, if the AI is there and potentially it's doing things to you know, put some people at risk, then we need to think about how, does, how should the business model change for that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. if that face or that person is used, then do we have some sort of compensation? It's yeah. similar to what we were talking about before mm-hmm. with the artists whose works we use for the training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. And notice that that's not actually an AI problem anymore. Like it's an AI, it's an AI problem in the sense of the technology has opened the door, mm. but the solution is not going to come from AI. I think the solution is going to come from policy, human beings thinking about what's the right systems to use. Yeah. But right, and I think the challenge is sorry, yeah. let me cut yeah. you off, But the, I think the challenge is we've never had this tech before, so mm. we never had to come up with a policy. Now we have the tech, so we need to come up with a policy. Yeah. yeah. And typically, these things are always reactive rather than proactive. Mm. That's true for legislation with AI. That's going to be true for things like this as well. Mm. So as we see more and more AI come in, we're going to have these issues. And we need yeah. to deal with that. We can't sweep, sweep them under the rug because it's unfair. Yeah. Right? So then we need to really think about what are the right solutions. And I, I mean, I, I as the AI guy don't have the answers, mm. but I think we need to start to think about this as a society and mm. as a larger kind of community. And this is why I think the strike is highlighting that. Mm. Right? And to me, that's a good thing. Like mm. We need to be aware of the problem. And yeah. the first step in solving a problem is awareness. Yeah. Admitting there is a problem. Because yeah. yeah. even on social media, like the early days of Facebook and YouTube, Facebook was a wild, wild west. There was no IP protection. There was no mm. content mm. Uh, protection. And over time, even the monetization came, right? It was so frustrating. I remember those early yeah. days, we literally had to email somebody to tell them, hey, someone's stealing our video on Facebook. Yeah, and we message yeah. to message that page, yo, yeah. stop stealing our fucking videos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they, they would just, they wouldn't, they wouldn't comply. Yeah. Um, but on, on that note, I think the IP, I can't remember what caused the platforms to take, uh, um, to make changes because I mean, ultimately YouTube and Facebook, they are powered by content creators, right? If people don't want to create content, it sucks for the platform. For AI, you know, you mentioned just now that businesses need to think about how AI impacts their people. I mean, 
ultimately business um there is like financial bottom line you know like you need to hit your profits and sometimes taking care of the human side of things is not the priority mm. so in your mind like how do you see this panning out is it that the businesses it themselves take the initiative to think about that or it has to be some sort of regulation from governments or or there's no central ai authority yet right so how do you see that panning out yeah it's a good question i mean you know, historically companies have not been good at self regulation yeah. right mm. uh, but i still think that being said if folks make an effort so companies i should say if mm. they make an effort there are reputational gains to be had Mm. Right. So if we think of a slightly unrelated example, but I think earlier we were chatting about Taylor Swift concert yeah, yeah. and how she's paying some of her, you know, folks a good amount of money, yeah. right? That were maybe doing jobs that were not that glamorous, yeah. right? But then what happens is the next time she goes to recruit people, she's going to have a line out the door, mm. right? And that is like mm. positive social credit, mm. right? That I think is very helpful down the line. I'm not saying all businesses need to have that and not all businesses will think about it that way. But if there are some businesses that are proactive mm. in doing some of this, I think there is some positive social credit to be had, mm. which I think for them down the line will be very useful. Okay, mm. So that's the self-regulation piece. Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of the overarching kind of you know view on regulation, I, I do think we need a centralized, uh, I wouldn't say centralized is probably the wrong word, but I think we need some sort of authority to provide some baseline frameworks, guidelines in terms of how some of this stuff needs to be done going forward. Mm. Right? And I think maybe this is a collection of AI people, people from business, people from government. You know, I think it can't just be one stakeholder in this that has all the power. Mm. I think we need a we need a multifaceted approach to this. But, right? Because yeah. one of the other uh, you know um, scary parts for for a lot of people yeah. is even when it comes to things like ChatGPT. Like who controls what the model it thinks is right and wrong, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm. And for many, many cases, it's like a small group of people who are just sitting at one of these companies, yeah. right? Uh. And then there's a question of like, even for those companies, okay, you have a bunch of people that do it, that's fine. But are they made up of diverse individuals, right? Mm. Are they made up of people from different countries? Because ChatGPT, what it might say in one country might be fine, other country might be offensive. Yeah. Right? So we need some sort of, you know, balanced kind of uh, view or, or or a balanced set of people to be able to make some of these, some of these decisions. Because mm. I don't think this is just a, okay, you guys, you three sit in a room and figure it all out. Yeah. I think you need a multiple opinions here because it's being used by people in so many places. Mm. Right. If it was only being used in one place, then you find representatives from that area to make the rules. Mm. Yeah. But if you're using it uh, across the board, then I think we need some larger kind of thought process. And in fact, mm. somewhere I read, and, and I forget the exact thing, but you know, similar to have the similar to how they have like the nuclear watchdog, like yeah. that has many countries and a mm. lot of people, they're thinking, should we have an AI version of that? Uh, mm. I actually think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I don't know how much they could actually do in terms of regulations applying to every country, but at least we'd be able to hear the views from the different countries. Mm-hmm. Like that in itself, right? But awareness of the problem is the most important thing. I think even if we get people or get some some kind of unit to be able to do that, I think that's a step in the right direction. In mm-hmm. my view. Mm-hmm. Do you see any uh, countries that are, you know, leading the charge in you know these kind of things? Like thinking about yeah, ethics and all. So I think different countries are having different approaches. Okay. okay? So if we look at the if you look at the EU, for example, so the EU has come up with like this kind of high level framework, mm. right? and what they're trying to do is they're trying to classify AI by use case and risk. So say this AI is either high risk, medium, or low risk. 
And based on which risk bucket it goes, it has a different set of rules. Okay. I actually think that's a good approach to start with. So it's kind of like self-driving vehicles that's high risk. Is that, yeah. is so that so they would have a metric for okay. what they define as risk, right? And okay. again, we can argue what exactly that should be. But I like the concept mm-hmm. because the mm-hmm. AI that regulates, you know, very simple, or, or sorry, the rules that regulate very simple AI that doesn't have big negative consequences mm. should probably not be the same as something like an autonomous vehicle where there's a high chance or I should say there's a chance of a negative consequence that's very high, mm. right? Mm. So I think that risk-based assessment is a good framework, I think, to look at it, mm. right? And I think now we have three levels, right? But maybe in the future, once we have more AI, maybe we take those three levels and make it seven, mm. right? But it creates at least a starting framework yeah. to be able yeah. to think about what's happening there. Mm. So I do think that becomes interesting, right, in terms of a framework. And then I think if we maybe move to Asia, where we are, I think one of the challenges that I think will happen for a lot of AI companies is we have a lot of different countries in the region. Mm. And if all the different countries have a bunch of different regulations and different laws, then that is actually going to be complicated. Mm. Right? Whereas with the EU, it's a one set of laws for a big block. Yeah. Right. So that I think will make it simple for businesses that are there. Uh, I think in Asia, you know, businesses are going to be, have to be mindful about how regulation changes mm. for each different country that's there. Mm. So these, I think, again, are going to be things that affect AI adoption going forward. Yeah. But you notice, right? A lot of what we talked about has nothing to do with the tech itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a lot about the human kind of regulatory piece that's out there. And so that is something, again, it, it's a human kind of um, a piece. Yeah. And therefore, I think the human um, sort of impact on this stuff is the thing that's going to be very important going forward. I mean, even like speaking of humans, like uh, there's a there's a now, wouldn't say a, intense feud but tension between mm. Sam Altman and Elon Musk, right? Because they both have different thoughts on AI or at least that's what a layperson like me gathers. I know um, Elon Musk recently just announced his new startup in the world of AI. Uh, like X, right? Or something. There was so. one more thing that he raised a bunch of money for. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Uh, in, 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 and I mean, there's Neuralink. Oh, he raised it for Neuralink, which is that thing in the head, right? Yeah, it's the chips that the, the neural implants to yeah. do the interface between AI and the brain. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. So, so this feels very similar to how it was, you know, when the big tech, the big tech was coming up, you know, there's Facebook, there's Amazon. And even I think up to a few years ago, the regulation for those companies was still like everybody was, I mean, you can put them in Congress, but doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Like, so AI feels like it's going down that path, which is why it's scary to people like me. Um, but do you see it any different from how big tech, those first big tech pillars uh, emerged? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, you were talking about the, the leaders fighting each other, right? So yeah. I'm also interested in that cage match. Oh, yeah, the cage match. <laughs> so the fights are getting literal. Yeah. Um, that aside, um, does it seem like big tech back in the day Mm, I, I think there are a lot. There are some reasons where it's similar, but there's mm. a lot of differences as well, mm. right? Because I think back then all the companies were quite small. Mm. Right? Big tech was mm. really not big tech; it was tech. But now these companies actually have a lot of money, yeah. right? And so they're able to build a lot of these models, use a lot of the data that they have, and so I think the impacts are going to be felt much more acutely rather than what was there before, mm. right? So I, I think I don't think it's a parallel situation. I think okay. there's too many different things. Um, does it have some elements of similarity? Sure. But I think this time it's a little bit of a different ballgame. Because mm. I know um, Sam Altman himself has seemed to communicate that his approach to AI is is like different. Like, he runs it as a non-profit, is it? Like a, 
no, I can't remember, but feels like there's there's a bit more self reflection about the power of AI. Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen some of his interviews recently. Yeah, and so he's been talking a lot about like how he thinks about it, uh, the fact that he feels regulation needs to be there. Mm. Um, we need to be mindful of what it can do. So I mean, I, I'm at least happy that it's not uh, an attitude of, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want, and you know, this is just this is that, that's it, right? Mm. So I think more and more, um, these are the types of issues that I think heads of AI companies are going to have to deal with. Mm. And, are, and funnily enough, it's, like I said before, not that much to do with the tech, mm. right? I think these guys are being it's forced to think side, about it, yeah. the human side, which is in some ways ironic because maybe some of them, not these guys you're talking about, yeah. but maybe smaller companies, I think the CEOs might be engineers, mm. right? Whose skill set isn't building rather than having the skill set being on the human side. Mm-hmm. So the other interesting thing also potentially to think about is do some newer roles at these companies start to appear? Right, mm. maybe I mean Google has their ethics, you know, folks and stuff like that. But do we come up with people who are who have the skill set, not from a technology background, but who are very well versed on the human side of things to run some of these functions? Mm. Right, I think that's really fascinating. And so maybe like in the future, you know, philosophy students might be the ones who are highly sought after because they have training in you know, the philosophical kind of models of what's right and wrong, and maybe they can then apply some of that stuff going forward. Mm. Right? And so this is why I think also for some of the subjects that historically might not have been seen as that important, they might actually see a bit of a renaissance. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, you're, you know, you're in universities, you're looking at uh, the forefront of change in education and all. Um, like for our generation, you know, seeing... You, the, the not so old people, right? Yeah, yeah. not so old people. But we used to <laughs> holding on to you. <laughs> yeah, we used to sit exam halls and write yep. papers, right? Yep. And then oh, two hours you write. And now it's like it's you know people are using laptops. They just type what they do it online or whatever. Um, what do you think is going to going to be lost in this transition for this generation in terms of the pursuit of knowledge and all? You know, because uh, I think you know back in the day again another thing was. Uh, research men going to the library encyclopedia yeah knowing looking for sources and all that Uh, and you know literally like oh there's a piece of information out there I have to go out and get it but now everything's at the fingertips right Wikipedia whatever Mm -hmm. and so that that maybe that skill of like um, digging for knowledge beyond like what is in your computer also has evolved a lot what do you think is the big evolution for you know for young people these days using AI at school and all yeah, fantastic question. So in terms of skills lost, I think handwriting for sure. <laughs> I've seen some of the some of the handwriting from some of the students. Yeah. Uh, some kids do have good handwriting, yeah. but there are others who, you know, chicken scratch would be a polite way to describe it. <laughs> and to be honest with you, my, my handwriting is horrible now. Yeah. Well, right? uh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to think also, when did I last handwrite? Uh, the truth is though, when I go for meetings, I actually take a book with me. So I, I, okay. I like to okay, write okay. notes like physical paper stuff. Dude, it's, not just boomer, a, yeah. it's not just a book you open up, but there's a there's iPad a inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, paper, paper, paper screen. Screen and stuff <laughs> yeah. there, yeah. And, and I think for mm. me, right, um, by writing things down, I feel like I remember them better, mm-hmm. right? So this is the other piece too. I think people need to figure out what works for them. And okay. in certain cases, the AI might the AI solution might be more effective for them. Yeah. In certain other cases, the AI solution may not be effective for them too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's an element of personalization here that I think you need to think about when it comes to some of these skills. Yeah. Okay. But in terms of your other question on kind of like, you know, how does the education change and what evolves? So I think these days, being able, like you said, to get information Mm. is no longer that difficult. Mm -hmm. So for me, the critical skill is what is, what do you do after that? 
mm. right? Like even thinking about like what information sources do you need, right? What information sources are good versus bad? Yeah. You know, these are more critical thinking questions rather than execution questions, mm. right? And mm. so for me, a lot of the AI, Gen AI is doing the execution. But all the stuff that happens in the ha- happens before that, that is still human. What mm. prompt are you going to write? Which tool are you going to use? Yeah. How are you going to think about this stuff going forward? And when you write the output, do it in the style of someone else. Mm. In your prompt, define that this is for a five-year-old versus a 10-year-old. Yeah. Right? I think a lot of that stuff, in mm. my view, is really those kind of the human skills that are going to matter going forward. Mm. And so therefore, we're going to have to think about that. Mm. And I think one other maybe interesting area also, right, is even though we might say, okay, handwriting skills don't matter going forward. Mm. But there's actually an interesting body of research that talks about when you have a certain skill, what are the second order benefits that occur in your brain too? Mm. So Mm. let's say, again, I have no data for this, but let's say if you have better handwriting, you become more creative. Mm. So then if you lose handwriting, you might lose those second order things too. Yeah. Right? So I know a lot of teachers, whenever I say, you know, oh, handwriting is done, you know, they look at me in terror, but I think they're not thinking about just handwriting. They're actually thinking about what are the other things we may lose? Mm. And right now we have no data for that. Mm. So an interesting thing also to look at is what is the relationship between those skill sets? Yeah. And is learning one helpful for learning others? Yeah. And this is a body of research that we've never looked at because before, Everybody just learned to write. Yeah, it was just yeah, given, yeah. right? But now that this is going to change, mm. I think there's also a question of like, what skills do we want to keep? What skills do we want kids to keep learning? Mm. And then how do we most effectively do that? Yeah. Mm. And sometimes it might be you need to learn a somewhat redundant skill because it helps you on a second order level mm. to build something else. Yeah. Mm. So again, this is just me kind of philosophizing about yeah. with you guys. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's also going to be interesting going forward too. So has there been anything that your undergrad students or younger students do that has surprised you that like, oh shit, right? I'm from a generation where this didn't exist. I still this. bring a book to me. I still bring a book. What is that? <laughs> My God, professor. Yeah. yeah. So I think, uh, so I will actually share Killing a story. Trees. I'll share a story with you guys. I think you guys will actually appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, so when I talk about AI, right, mm. um, often the three pillars of AI or uh, three kind of underlying pieces that make it very powerful yeah. are a computing, storage, and data transport. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so for storage, I was actually showing them a couple of old school things we had before. Mm. Right? So as a not so old person like like mm. you, Terrence, uh, I took in a three and a half inch floppy disk. Oh. Oh. Right. Do you guys remember the yeah, yeah, square ones? Yeah. Square really ones? floppy. Yeah. <laughs> so the big ones, the five and a half was the floppy ones oh, and the, the three, smaller uh, ones were the hard ones. Hard ones. So I think uh, you may be a little bit younger than us. I think yeah. me and Terrence are in the... I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. And so, you know, one of the kids, uh, so I, they were asking questions, right? And I appreciate that. Uh, and so they were saying, so what's the capacity? Of <laughs> <laughs> it's basically 1.44 megabytes, oh, yeah, which is God. today is like half a picture. Yeah. Right? And so they're looking at me and they're thinking like, why would you use that? Right? And they're like, how would you play a game, for example, using that? So I told them, no, if you go to level two in a racing game, the, the game would pause and it would say, please insert disc two, right? Yeah. So you push the button, you take out this one, you put in disc two and then you start playing again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the look of disbelief on their faces was pretty high. Right? So yeah. I think that was, re- that was pretty funny. Yeah. But then another student actually raised her hand and this is basically what took the cake. Mm. And, so, and, and the kid's very bright, right? So I was appreciative of the comment. And so he says, professor, I think I learned something today. I'm like, okay. And he says, whenever I've hit save, I never knew what the picture of the save icon was. (laughs) 
And then today he's like, oh, I finally got it. Oh. And not only did his eyes light up, but all the like many of the oh, other kids oh, in the true. Yeah. So many of the other kids in the in the class, their eyes lit up too. Oh. And they were like, Wow. Oh. Like you just see the light bulb was just going off everywhere, right? So then again, I, I thought it was pretty interesting to see that yeah. generational gap. And to kind of take that one step further, yeah. I asked them, so what will you guys change the icon to? Like if you had the ability today yeah, to change the icon. Yeah. And they all set a cloud. Yeah. yeah. I was just cloud. thinking yeah, that. Upload to the cloud. cloud. Yeah. Yeah. And so because again, it's, crazy, it's just, it's just uh, kind of representative of how they see technology, right? Yeah. So I think the reason why I like teaching though is because it keeps me in touch with the younger members of society. Mm. And that's great perspective for me. Yeah. You know, because I think it's very easy if you grew up in a generation with this type of tech to just kind of view that as the kind of the tech that's that forms a baseline for all your thoughts, yeah. Rather yeah. than really considering what has the change actually been, mm. right? and so I think for me, I really enjoy teaching a because of the interaction with the students, but b I actually learn a ton too, yeah. Right, and yeah. I learn from the perspective of their attitudes towards technology, how they use it, what's actually happening, and I think that type of stuff's like super useful for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and there'll be sometimes when I don't understand it, I'm like, why would you guys use it that way? But I think that's up to me to go and figure out what is the value and utility that they're getting mm. and how can we use that in a business context going forward. Mm. Because they're the ones that ultimately are going to be the ones that grow up, use the tech in that way, and the not-so-old people like us, eventually we're going to be you know, put out to pasture, right? Mm, so yeah. I just think that you need to understand how they're using it and how they think about it so that you can have a better sense of what the new technology that's coming, you know, how should we build it? Mm-hmm. So, so in the education space, you know, you're teaching university students, but over the past year or so, have you seen the the AI curriculum feed more and more into curriculums of younger and younger students? Yeah, so so in Hong Kong specifically, I think there's now um, some government rules where they're trying to get, I forget the exact form number, but in kind of high school, a certain number of hours has to be done with, for AI education. Mm-hmm. High school? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like form three to five. I don't remember exactly which yeah. form number, but something like that. So they're mandating, I think, 10 to 15 hours a week or something. Uh, so that has to be some component or some element of AI. So then the teachers are expected to adapt themselves with the knowledge or do you have to bring in other people? So I think that's probably up to schools at the minute. I'm not, uh-huh. I'm not sure exactly of the rules per se, but mm-hmm. the I, the objective, the end objective is going to be they need to learn something more. Uh-huh. Right? So then I think it's up to schools to think about how do we do that? How do we put that together? Uh-huh. So I think the challenge for education educators is specifically that. Yeah. Right? Like how do we start bringing this stuff in? Uh, I, I still think you can't have it too young though because I think the kid needs to develop a little bit more of like the human piece and a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, but I think at some point, you know, you do need to bring that in. Mm. Right, and then I think we do need to start thinking about how do we educate our young people to use it. And I still I come back to I think the important thing is how do you use it in the right way? Mm. Because I think students are going to learn how to use it. You give a kid an iPad, like they'll figure it out, right? yeah. and eventually they'll be better than you, yeah. right? But the real the real people who I think will be most valuable to society and probably companies in the future are going to be the ones who have a good command of how to use it right. Mm. I think mm. that's going to be the skill going forward mm, for me. Mm. And so then educators have to teach that and so, that stuff. So for you, like, how do you figure out, okay, what what is right or wrong? And I say that in air quotes, or how what's your philosophy when thinking about the latest developments in, in AI? Are you, do you go back to Confucius or, or some sort? Or how do you think about, especially as you're advising companies and business leaders, right? Do you have any internal framework that you use to think about this sort of stuff? 
So I actually think in my um, capacity as a consultant, mm. I actually should not have a framework. And let me mm. explain a little bit more why, right? Because mm. I still think the right way to use AI is a domain expert uses the AI tool in the right way. Mm. So I actually think it is not me about me knowing right and wrong. It's about me consulting with the domain expert to figure out in their domain what is the right and wrong way to do things. Mm. Mm. Right? Because I think it is specific to use case. What makes sense in industry A may not make sense in industry B. Yeah. Right. So because of that, if I have the consultant go in with my fixed view of the world, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why the consulting thing is about me saying this is what the tech can do. And then it's about me and the domain expert sitting there and thinking about how do we collectively decide mm-hmm. what is the right way to use it in this specific use case. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm purposely not trying to be difficult in, in mm-hmm. avoiding the question. Yeah. But I still think because of the implications of the AI are so wide you need a domain expert to opine on that. Mm-hmm. I just think it would be unfair for me to do it because there would be too much I don't know about that area to be able to make a good decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, like six months ago when you came by, you said that you wanted everyone to try mm-hmm. ChatGBT. That was your wish. Yeah. And now we've gone beyond everyone trying it. You know, literally people are using it for work and, and writing complaint letters to their members of parliament and things, which I, I, I did. Yeah, that's what I was like. <laughs> yeah, what yeah, yeah. You are that yeah, person. I'm that there. person. I'm that person. <laughs> Multiple. Please send snarky email to a member of parliament. Um, but yeah, what, what if, you know, someone who just is, has some knowledge of AI and chat GPT and all, like what's the next frontier of stuff that they should be looking at and trying? So I would say number one, don't copy and paste, right? Okay. So do not kind of use the thing directly and learn how to use the tools better. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's my biggest thing. So mm-hmm. there is the whole idea of incremental prompting. There's many ways to do it. And the truth is eventually, sometimes if AI gets even better, maybe these prompting skills might not be useful going forward too. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing is open mindset. Yeah. That's like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm advocating that to everybody, mm. right? Be mindful that the tools we use today are probably not going to be the tools that we use five years from now. Yeah. Right? So with that in mind, okay, you learned it today. That's great. You can use the tool today. But you should still be open to what is that tool that's coming in the future. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest with you, like you said before, there are so many tools out there. So I think my advice to people is consider the tools in your domain. Mm. Become good at that. If you are a doctor, look at the AI, look at the generative AI in your healthcare area. Yeah. What is actually being used there? And then try to get good at that. Mm, right? mm. I think if you do that, then you became the domain expert who's very good at it. Mm. Right? There's a phrase I really like, which I tell all my students this. You are, much, you are more likely to be replaced by someone who knows how to use AI mm. rather than by AI itself. Mm. Okay? And yep. I very, very much believe that. Mm. Right? So that's why I think it's incumbent upon all of us to learn the tools. And then I think from a job perspective, if, you, if there are too many tools out there, try and learn the tools that are in your domain. Mm-hmm. I think if you can fundamentally do that, then you become the person who has you know, the ability to use the tools. Mm-hmm. I think that keeps you up. Mm-hmm. But then even when you achieve that, that goal, don't just stop there. Yeah. What are the new tools that are coming up? Mm-hmm. Like we need to go and look at this stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's like the biggest push. Mm-hmm. I mean, great that you, yeah, you, you know, use a tool and you dip your toe in the water. Yeah. But you know, the water is going to change, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's going to be big waves. Sometimes it's going to be small waves. Yeah. We got to be open enough to be able to keep learning. Mm. And I know it's scary. I know it can be really worrying when you use these new tools. Yeah. But as the low code and no code stuff becomes more available, my my honest view is just try. Right? Mm. And then try the newer stuff as well. Yeah. And if you're worried about the output, do it in the privacy of your own home. Mm. And right? if you're really scared or self-conscious, it's yeah. okay. Figure it out. 
but at least try. I think it's so, so important. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so how do you, you know, you've been in AI for like seven years, right? Essentially. Seven years. Yeah. So I'm sure there are people out there who maybe try AI for three weeks and they're an AI expert. Um, do you, do you ever like, um, go on TikTok and all and, and listen to people and you just feel like there's a lot of misinformation or you think generally that there are really a lot of people who are using it in infinitely creative ways and all backed up by like legit thought processes? Basically, uh, do you think, think there are a lot of phonies out there? Oh, uh, phonies. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do think there are a lot of people who are providing misinformation, mm. but I think sometimes it's not out of malice. Mm. Right. Sometimes it's I just genuinely have not used enough tools to have a good sense of what's good. Yeah. Mm. Right. So because I think the area is so new. Okay. Look, are there bad actors? Of course, it's yeah, always everywhere. Bad actors, right? mm. But then I think the question is, when someone gets inaccurate information or something, what's the motivation behind it? Mm. Did they are they doing that because they didn't make an effort to go find the right answer, or is it ignorance or is it malice? There's yeah. plenty of reasons for that. So I think with with a new industry like like AI, right, the word phony is tough. Because it's like, what does it actually mean? Is yeah. it inexperienced? Is it kind of your bad person, whatever? So I still think, you know, it's tough. It's a new industry. Everyone's learning at the same time. Mm. We're all trying together, yeah. right? And again, you, know, you guys might say I'm an AI expert, but the truth is I think I'm just, I'm good at constantly learning as well. Mm. I think mm. that's the common skill. Mm. I think the AI experts who are out there, they should be the ones who have an open mindset and who are learning. And I think if they're doing that, then I guess they maybe continue to be the AI expert. Mm. And the ones that are closed will probably be the ex- expert today, but maybe tomorrow they fall behind, mm. right? So I think another way to, again, it's not, phony is the wrong word, but mm. a, the, another way to judge people and how adaptable they are, I think those are going to be the ones that are, quote unquote, the experts, the leaders, I think. Going mm. I see. Nice. Huh. So uh, are, there, yeah. are there any specific thought leaders out there that you would recommend people for who constantly write or talk a lot about AI? So it has some very interesting thoughts that even when you read, you're like, oh, that's a, that's a, any, basically AI influencers out there who, mm. who, who create good content. That's a tough one. I think, and I, the reason why I think it's tough is because I think the good content creators are the ones who are specialized in certain industries, uh, right? Because okay. I think the okay. ones that are really adding some value, or, or let me put it another way. I think the ones that are showing AI usage everywhere and pretending they're an expert in everything, I find it hard to believe. Okay. Yeah, I'm not saying mm. that they're wrong, but I'm just saying I find it hard to believe because to really understand an, a tool well and have domain expertise in a certain area, that's hard for one person to do one area. Mm. Yeah. So you can imagine if someone's coming and telling you I know 20, yeah. I'm skeptical, yeah. but I'm not saying that I don't believe them, but I might ask some due diligence questions. Got right? it, got it. So that's why I think I'd be mindful of that. So I would, again, recommend for people who are in these different areas, if you're in finance, look for the AI folks who have a specialty in finance. Mm. If you're a healthcare guy, look for the AI that's you know that has a healthcare bent to it. Like even when we talk to smaller companies that are building AI, I always ask that. So let's say there's, let's say there's a healthcare AI company, they come to me. So in parts, in, in kind of the DD policy, in, in, in the due diligence process, normally what I would do is I'd ask them, do you have a doctor or a healthcare professional that's on your board, mm. that's on your team who's developed this stuff? And if they tell me we don't, again, that's for me a red light. Mm. Okay. Mm. So again, I would highly recommend for people in your own industry, find the thought leaders that have domain expertise and mm. are using the tools. Mm. It's, not, it's not a foolproof way to say that they're not. Uh, phony, but at the same time, you lessen the chance that they are. Yeah, mm. yeah. So that would be my advice. Okay, okay, cool. So, so uh, I mean, 
If anybody wants to find you online, where would be a good place for them to go? Uh, sure. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm quite active on LinkedIn. We okay. post a lot of our research. We do a ton of stuff there. Mm. Uh, so Kevin Pereira Blue, you know, you, you put it in, you'll find that. Mm. We also have our website, so www.blu.ltd, mm. and we publish a lot of our research there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, that's probably the best uh, the best couple ways to find uh, to find us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we encourage everybody if you have questions, you want to talk to us about anything AI related. Maybe you're just scared and you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen to my job? Yeah. Uh, reach out. You know, because mm. uh, we're more than happy to have a chat. We're more than happy to have those discussions. I get those types of inquiries all the time, uh, and yeah, happy to uh, happy to you know spread the knowledge and and hopefully uh, alleviate some of the fear that's out there with AI. Okay, cool, sweet. We'll put the link to your LinkedIn in uh, in the the episode description. Mm-hmm. Uh, for now, yeah, is it time to move on to the one short thing? Yeah, the one short thing, which is something yeah. we always do, just to share something positive with. Uh, the audience, uh, yeah. Harish, you have your one short thing. Uh, wait, let me pull it up. Uh, uh yeah, mine is uh, actually, um, I just discovered like, uh, you know, in in Singapore, in this place called Middle Road, uh, there's a this little, there's this really old, uh, I mean, office building or shopping center, whatever you want to call it, called Fortune Center, <laughs> and um, it actually comes alive at night. Like, there's a lot of eateries there. It's this really old building. Sometimes you step in, you feel like you're stepping back into the 80s mm. in Singapore. So it's like a lot of different kinds of like uh, small shops with different types of cuisine. Hong Kong dim sum, mm. Turkish kebabs uh, and things. And it's all concentrated in this, this in the lobby of this building. And it's interesting because it's surrounded by religious uh, like temples and all that around as well. So... Apparently, like uh, at the start of every lunar month, that, that place becomes like really crowded, like big, big crowds and all. So and it's also a different type of crowd, you know, people who went to the temple and everything. So yeah, it's just such a. I just only discovered it recently. And I found wow, it's such a colorful part of Singapore that's in the middle of the city that I, I never knew existed. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Uh, my one short thing is uh, uh, I know Terence has heard of this person, but have you heard of this person, Harry Mack, Kevin Burr? Uh, so he's a guy who is a freestyle rapper. I've uh, been freestyling for like 18 years. And during COVID, he just started post. He he used to go to Venice Beach and like just ask people for words and like uh, play a, uh, a beat and rap over it. Over COVID, he started just doing on Omegle. So people mm. come online and just ask for words. So he slowly grew, grew. And now he's got like millions of subscribers on YouTube. And I just checked out his channel and he's... He's doing like freestyle raps in front of people like Ice Cube and like um, it's still like going on set of movies to freestyle rap there but it's nice and he's having sold out shows around the world. Uh, I don't think Asia, maybe Europe and US. So it's nice to see him like uh, finally reach that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's insane to watch. La. I know uh, you try watching and you're like, Meh. I'm okay. It's okay. Uh, okay, it's okay. It's okay. It's I, I love him. I love him. Right. I love him. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> and and he's gotten better. He's gotten better. Yeah, 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 yeah. His raps are, are great. So so it's fun to watch. Fun yeah. to watch. Yeah. What about you, man? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, you know maybe a little bit of inspiration from Terence, right? Mm-hmm. But um, uh, a while back, uh, there's a there's a new. I guess it's not so new anymore. But in Hong Kong, they've opened a new area called Central Market. Mm-hmm. Right. They've got okay. a bunch of different like uh, restaurants there. A bunch of different kind of uh, nice places to grab a drink, yeah. to catch up, etc. And that place had been under construction for like really long time. Mm. We're talking like you know years and years and years. Mm. And so about two, maybe two years ago, it had kind of opened up. 
Um, but now I think it's like full. They've got a lot of things going on there. They've also set it up as an interesting place where they have art exhibitions and things like that on yeah. the top floors. Yeah. So the restaurants and the drinking places, I think people knew about. Okay. But the top floors, like sometimes there's pop-up stores and stuff like that mm. for like new businesses that are kind of in Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, it's interesting. Like I, I think a while back, I had a little bit of time before meeting. I just wandered up some of those floors. Yeah. It was just cool to go and check it out. So if people mm. are in Hong Kong at some point, like Central Market, some of the top floors, yeah. uh, worth checking out. So they have good exhibitions, good stuff from time to time that I think would it's be interesting for people. Central, Central Market. Central, Central Market. Okay. Market. It's a, so they it's Google, a you can, they can, people yeah. can Google and you can find Google the place. It, yeah. oh, okay. Central Market, super easy. Because I think we got so. listeners from Hong Kong also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we do, we do. Mm. Uh, all right, cool, man. But yeah, well, thanks cool. for coming all the way down and uh, presenting the future of AI and why we should not be afraid of dying from AI. Maybe six months we can have you back again and then there'll be some monumental change that you can talk about. Uh. Yeah. I think if we're going to do monumental changes, I'll have to be here every other every week. Month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, thank you guys for having me. Looking forward to the next time for sure. Sweet. All right. Awesome. And thanks everybody for listening. Peace.